We're looking at the psalm last week and identified it on the basis of what we find in the text, the recurrent theme of old age, that this psalm is a psalm which concerns life in the senior years, what it is to live as an aged person. And we saw last time some of the challenges that attend aging. And suggested in these verses, particularly we're looking this evening at 15 through 24, is that old age should be a time of spiritual productivity and usefulness for the Lord. Alongside these verses, we could well write Psalm 92 verses 12 through 14, which reflect a similar idea there in Psalm 92, 12 through 14. The psalmist says this, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. And here in Psalm 71, 15 through 24, we learn that one of the ways in which the elderly bears fruit for the Lord, and I'll just state the first point as we have it, what? does fruit bearing look like in the senior years and we learn in the first place that old age is a time to proclaim the salvation of the lord verses 15 through 18 old age is a time to proclaim the salvation of the lord here's what the psalmist says my mouth will tell of your righteous acts of your deeds of salvation all the day for their number is past my knowledge Clearly, the psalmist we see here was a man of vast experience as it relates to the goodness of God toward him. And such experience as was beyond the ability of his to quantify or enumerate. Because note what he says of the Lord's righteous acts and deeds of salvation. He says, therefore, their number is past my knowledge. This man has a track record, he had a track record of walking with God, of experiencing the blessings of God. And of course, suggested from last week's study is that this man had seen very rough days. He had been through a lot. And here, the psalmist implicitly cites a fundamental qualification of everyone who would be a witness for the Lord, which is to simply declare what one has known and experienced of God's saving activity in one's life. We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen was what our Lord Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 11. Acts chapter 4, verse 20, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And so it was out of his vast experience with the Lord, out of his memory bank of God's gracious deliverances, which he had experienced time and again, David pledged to proclaim the salvation of the Lord. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of the deeds of your salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge, he says. Now David's endeavor to proclaim the Lord's salvation in senior years was not, notice, it was not impeded by any kind of suggestion that he lacked effective communication skill or the equipment of higher learning. He did not exonerate himself. He did not excuse himself from this matter of proclaiming the Lord's salvation on the grounds that he was not an effective communicator. 
How then was he able to accomplish this service for the Lord? How was he able to proclaim the Lord's righteous acts, his deeds of salvation all the day? Notice what he tells us in verse 16, the A part. He was able to do so in the might and strength of the Lord. Notice what he says here in verse 16. He says, with the mighty deeds of the Lord, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. Here, what is he doing? He's making the point that he's being a witness for the Lord to proclaim the righteousness of the Lord derives not from any native natural ability of his, but from divine supernatural enabling. And this is the case with you and me today. Like the psalmist, we need the power, we need the strength of the Lord to declare his salvation, to tell others of him. This is consistent with what our Lord Jesus told his disciples just prior to ascending into heaven. We read in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he told them, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. No, this is not something we can undertake in the energy of the flesh. This is what we do. We rely on the strength of God's enabling power. The psalmist was able to proclaim the Lord's righteous acts, his deeds of salvation all the day because he did so in the might and strength of the Lord. Second, the psalmist was able to proclaim the Lord's righteousness, his righteous acts, his deeds of salvation all day long because he had been trained by the Lord. He had been trained by the Lord. First of all, he was empowered by the Lord. Now he tells us he was trained by the Lord. He had been divinely educated since his youth. Look at verse 17. He says there, again, this man is drawing out of the vast reservoir of his experience with God. He says in verse 17, O God, from my youth, you have taught me and I still proclaim your righteous deeds. David is saying here that all he knew and proclaimed concerning the Lord came from the Lord. He was instructed in the word of God. He was instructed in the ways of the Lord. Well, by what means did God teach him from his youth? Bearing in mind that the God we serve is a God of means, God we could say did not teach him in an immediate way, in a direct way. God used means to teach David from his youth, and without doubt, God taught him largely by way of parental instruction, by their instilling the, the scriptures in David. You see, this has ever been the means whereby God gets his word into your heart, in my heart. He does that through means. He does that through parental instruction. We read in Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7, and these words which I command you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Paul picks up on this idea in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 where he calls upon parents. He says, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This was what Timothy's parents did. His mother Lois and his grandmother Eunice. We learn from 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, it was an account of their teaching him that he came to know the scriptures from a child. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3 verse 5, and that from a child you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation in Christ Jesus. David then was able to speak about the Lord even in his senior years because 
among other things, his father and mother taught him the word of God. They instilled in him from his earliest years the truths of God's word. What a challenge for you and me today. The question is, well, are we instructing our children in the ways of the Lord? Are we exposing them to the word of God? Are we taking our grandchildren? Are we teaching them the word of God? I would say this is the way we are going to preserve the next generation because as we look at where all things are going today, clearly our society, humanly speaking, is headed for disintegration. And if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? What is the foundation on which we stand? The word of God. And when the word of God goes, everything else goes. When the word of God goes, among other things, truth is discarded. Justice is dashed to the ground, just as we are seeing in our time. These are some of the manifestations of taking the word of God out of our schools, out of our homes. David was able to speak about the Lord even in his senior years because he had been trained from his youth. And clearly, he did not deviate from that word so that even, notice, even in his old age, he tells us his message to others regarding the Lord had not changed. Now, In verse 18, we see the psalmist's enthused determination to bear unceasing witness for the Lord even through old age. He says there, so even to old age, he's constantly on this theme of old age. So even to old age, he says, and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. This man, as aged as he was, had one passion, and that was to proclaim the salvation of the Lord, to tell the next generation of the ways of the Lord. Oftentimes we meet with senior people, and people, the temptation for them is to say, well, what in the world can I do? My days are over as far as serving the Lord is concerned. And yet here we see, suggested by the psalm, is that the believer in Christ, even in old age, never goes on spiritual retirement. Even in old age, they are still bearing forth fruit, the psalmist tells us elsewhere. And so what do we take away from the psalmist's resolve to be a mouthpiece for the Lord, telling others about him even throughout his senior years? We learn this, that whether old or young, Every believer should be determined to inform others of the Lord and of his salvation. That those who are advancing years can be encouraged by the fact that they need not feel sidelined, they need not feel pushed to the fringes, is very clear from this passage. They can still be of use to the Lord. With a measure of strength, with a measure of spiritual illumination they have from the Lord, they can impart to the next generation the age-old, time-tested truths of God of which they have known throughout the years. Titus chapter 2, verses 2 through 5 says this, Older men, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Here it comes, he says this, they are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be revealed. There's work to do. The word of God is saying, 
And who best can counsel, really, who best can tell of their experiences with the Lord, who has bring the word of God to bear to the younger generation and the younger generation pointing them, reinforcing in their minds and hearts the ways of the Lord. That's what the psalmist was intent on doing. So old age, number one, is a time to proclaim the salvation of the Lord. Second, old age, notice verses 19 through 21, is a time to ponder the greatness of the Lord. Old age is a time to ponder the greatness of the Lord. And the overarching theme of these verses is David's contemplation of the incomparable, surpassing power and greatness of God. As he ponders the greatness of the Lord, David raises this profound question found in verse 19. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? David had seen the Lord at work. Time and again, the Lord had delivered him. The Lord had come through for him in terms of the promises of his word. And having that kind of experience of God working in his life, David, as he reflected on the greatness of God, the incomparable greatness of God, he was led to exclaim, Oh God, who is like you? He was able to speak with enthusiasm. He was able to speak with fervor. And this was the very question that was raised in the Song of Moses and Israel after they had crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and the Egyptians were drowned. This was a question that called attention to the unparalleled greatness of the Lord. Because there in that song, Exodus 15, verse 11, the question was asked, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And even as Moses was passing on the baton of leadership to Joshua, this was his message to Joshua, the incomparable greatness. This was a senior man too, 80 years of age. He's passing on the baton and he's telling Joshua about the incomparable greatness of God. Deuteronomy 33, 26, there is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty, Moses wrote. Again, this theme of the unparalleled greatness of God surfaced in Hannah's prayer of rejoicing for her son Samuel when she declared in 1 Samuel 2 verse 2, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. He was praising the Lord. He was proclaiming the greatness of the Lord. In his old age. Why is that important? Why is it important, first of all, to use our senior years to proclaim God's salvation and to peel forth God's praise? And let me put it like this. You see, one of the temptations that often accompanies old age is the tendency to become what? Disgruntled? To give in to complaining? Dwelling on the negatives? Succumbing to such temptation will, let me say this, inevitably occur when one's focus has shifted from the Lord. When we take our eyes off the Lord, when we forget all his mercies toward us, when we forget how God has worked in the past, and when we begin to focus on the negatives, the aches and the pains, and by the way, I'm not belittling or minimizing, um, there are people who really, really suffer, real severe pains, in old age. So I'm not in any way wanting to trivialize that. But suffice it to say that what the question is, what recourse do we have in those times? And it seems to me, based on what the Word of God is saying, that to the extent we are focusing on the Lord, we are making much of the Lord by way of praising Him, we are going to thrive 
spiritually. See, whenever our eyes are not focused on the Lord, we succumb to such temptations as grumbling, murmuring, all because we fail to focus on the Lord. The fact is that our ability, you see, our ability to surmount life's difficulties, including the challenges of aging, is related to our view of God, who God is, our contemplation of his power. The question is, what specifically did David ponder with respect to the incomparable greatness of God? And I notice, first of all, in the A part of verse 19, David pondered the righteous character of God. He pondered the righteous character of God. Here's what he says, your righteousness, O God, reaches the heavens. What is David saying here? You see, God's righteousness concerns the fact that in his character, he cannot but do right all the time, which consequently means that there's no flaw in his character, which in turn means that he can be trusted. We can bank our lives completely on him without fail. David, as he praised the Lord, as he thought of God's incomparable greatness, he thought of the righteous character of God. As far as David was concerned, with all the hurts, with all the injustices, he would from time to time suffer at the hands of wicked men. He had in view the fact that God is the righteous God, the God who will grant him justice against his enemies. If we have a view of life where we cannot get justice in this life, what's that going to make us? That's why people murder People become frustrated. People become hopeless. But when we understand that God is righteous, that God in character does what is right, and that he will rectify all that is wrong in this world, we will entrust our lives to him, knowing that he will ultimately what vindicate us. And as we saw last week, David went through a lot with people who taunted him, ridiculed him. Cast aspersions on him, saying how that God had forsaken him. He was deeply hurt. And yet, he ponders the righteousness of God, the righteous character of God. He says, your righteousness, O God, reaches the heavens. Convinced of the illimitable righteousness of God, which in poetic terms, reached the high heavens, David could therefore be at rest in the Lord. Second, with regard to the incomparable greatness of God, and we're going to come to a close shortly, David pondered the reviving power of God. The reviving power of God. Here's what he says, verse 20. You who have made me see many troubles, he's reviewing his life, he's reviewing his experiences with the Lord. He says this, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again from the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. Do you see what he's doing here? There's a veiled reference, an allusion to what? Resurrection. Life beyond the grave. David is saying here, I've been through a lot, Lord. You have brought me, you have, you have made me see many troubles. Stop there for a moment. Do you notice what else he is doing? David realized that all the so-called negatives that he encountered, all the hurts, all the difficulties, all the pains were not accidents. They were purposefully ordered by God. May I suggest this? Particularly if you're a believer in Christ. Here's what the Word of God teaches. There are no accidents in our lives. It means that the bitter, the painful are all part and parcel of God's will for our lives. Why? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. For we know that in all things God works 
for good to those who love God, to those who are, the, who are called according to his purpose. David recognized here that God, at the end of the day, yes, he had enemies, but God really was the one, he says, who made him see many troubles and calamities. And guess what? He wasn't bitter. He recognized that if God allows it, then it's the best thing for him. Let me say this. Do you recognize here the truth that God can use people who are against us and would even hurt us? God can use those very people for our good. Why? Because the things he allows in our lives that we are suffering are designed to build us, not break us, to develop us, not destroy us. So he says there, you have made me see many troubles and calamities, yet you will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. It reminds us of what the patriarch Job said in Job chapter 19, verse 25. He says, for I know that my Redeemer lives and that I shall see him on the latter day on the earth. And then he says this, And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall behold for myself and not another. What was it that sustained Job in his suffering? What was it that sustained David in his suffering? It was the providence of God and the understanding that God was at work orchestrating all of these happenings in his life, designing them, working them for his ultimate good. So from his youth, David had seen lots of trials, lots of sufferings, yet he does not recall them with bitterness. We sense the secret of his positive, resilient attitude, even as he recalls what he describes, the many troubles and calamities he had been through. He cites the fact of the Lord's providential role in these troubles, in these calamities. Note his words addressing the Lord. He says, you who have made me see troubles and calamities. 